Hey, Alex. Hey, Leo. How are you doing, sir? Great. How are you doing? Fantastic. I'm glad to have Alex Bush on from iOS Interview Guide and Inside iOS Dev Podcast. If you are interested in iOS development, you should definitely check his podcast out. Alex, what are you up to right now? I am sort of getting up to speed after microconf and vacation. I hear you. I'm in the same boat, microconf and peers and vacation and starting a new contract. So I know where you're coming from. Right. And yeah, and uh, I'm contracting as well, iOS. So doing that, getting up to speed on that. Who are you working with right now? Currently with Uber. Yeah, Silicon Valley, you know, all the companies Yeah, around. Probably be looking for another gig soon enough. Yeah. If you are interested in architecture, definitely check uh, Alex's podcast out. But your specialty really is in helping iOS developers get jobs and specifically the interview process, correct? Yes. That's sort of been my um, aim, my focus lately, last couple of years. Yeah, I wrote a book, as you mentioned, on, on the topic, helping iOS developers get jobs, right? Prep for, for interviews. Okay, so if you're like a company hiring iOS developers, what are some things that make interviewing a potential iOS developer different from, I guess the biggest thing is web developers, right? So what makes it different from hiring your standard web developer? That's a good question. And it's sort of how the whole book thing and helping iOS devs interview started. I was uh, at the time at a different consultancy helping them hire people for their iOS project. And as I was interviewing, sort of same things will come up and I would kind of jot some notes, take some notes on uh, what to ask, what to remember to ask and probe uh, as I interview people. And um, in general, sort of when you interview, let's say, a web developer or just a software developer, right? You go for a broader software topics, right? Well, roughly speaking, algorithms and then design patterns and uh, architectures, right? But overall for software, not specific for, for iOS. And I think that's what's different when you're interviewing and hiring iOS people. The one thing is to, in the sort of web world and specifically backend world, in my opinion, you can hire a generalist and they can adapt quick enough, I guess. But in iOS world, it's very crucial to, for, for developers to really know very well the, the frameworks that they work with. And I think that's the main biggest difference when you're interviewing iOS people to sort of aim at that and uh, assess their knowledge, not just overall software development knowledge, but specifically iOS development. I guess like UI kit comes to mind because that drives almost everything. Maybe what particulars about UI kit are you thinking people should really know about? It also depends, right? Like if you're hiring for just I guess you don't have a heavy UI animation or performance concerns for your project, your app, then you don't really need a specialist who knows low-level details of that, right? But sometimes, for example, social networking apps or apps that have social networking aspect of some kind, 
they struggle with uh, scrolling performance, right? Let's say you have uh, some sort of uh, Instagram-like feed with uh, pictures, an infinitive feed that you can scroll and it's dynamically sized, right? If that's a crucial part of your app, it's important to make the performance buttery smooth, right? And not every developer, like th- this is what, sh- in regards of UIKit, what you want to dig and assess more in that case. Okay. Rather than just overall, you know, oh, what is MVC, right? Right. That- so maybe we should clarify with the audience, like UIKit is the basic framework for the user interface on iOS. So mm-hmm. if you're going to do any simple menus, tables, navigation, UIKit is the bread and butter of that. And then, like Apple, kind of they teach an MVC pattern or model view controller, which I think, correct me if I'm wrong, like every developer who does iOS development should know that in an interview, correct? That is correct. Although I would say these days, that's a prerequisite to simply develop for iOS, but to be sort of hired for a position, you should know more than that. At least be aware, right? I agree. I think that's a very basics. What are some other things you should know about? What comes to mind, the core Apple design patterns, like key value observation, delegation, singleton, protocol-oriented programming, as they call it. Yes, yeah. Which is basically coding for interfaces. Yes, essentially. So yeah, those things. And um, I think on top of it, you need to know the most common components and uh, tools that you would use, such as networking, right? How does an SURL session work? Yes. And uh, how you would not block the main thread as you perform in a networking request so that the UI doesn't uh, freeze. Things like that. Yeah, so let's break some of those down. So like protocol-oriented programming, why would an employer care that a developer knows protocol-oriented programming? So in this specific thing, you know, a typical developer answer, right? Or developer or consultant answer, it depends. (laughs) Like, of course. But um, let's say if you're building something more than just an MVP, one-off throwaway MVP to just validate your idea, then what you're building needs to live through multiple iterations of development, right? And protocol-oriented programming is let's just say, an approach to development coding that would facilitate extracting abstractions in your code and uh, then later for other developers to build on top of and use. I think of it as like, uh-huh. you know, they toss, they use the word protocol, you know, and the word interface is used in a lot of other programming languages. But the way I think about it is... A protocol is like a contract. It says that this object will do these things and it agrees upon it. And that just allows a lot of developers to know, okay, I need to like, these are the requirements that it needs. This is what I'm testing for that this object actually will do. That to me is like one of the benefits of that. And if a developer you hire knows that, they might not know the term protocol-oriented programming, especially if they're from another Mm -hmm. language. But the idea of like this interface first, this protocol first design just introduces so much more conveniences and makes it easier for testing, for architecture and things like that. I think that's kind of what you're getting at, right? Yeah, that's a way better way to put it. Contracts, essentially. And uh, that will help you structure your code in a way that it's building blocks, right? 
as an example of that, you could, um, if you don't do protocol-oriented or interface-oriented, if you will, development approach, you and let's say your app needs to have some offline mode, right, where you store data offline and when there is network connection, you still display something to the user. You could, a naive approach without protocol-oriented programming would be to just hard code that and save that in, in memory, let's say in your view controller, right? And But then later when the next developer comes to iterate on that and, I don't know, make some changes to persist that to actually to disk so that the app displays that data even after it's killed, not just in offline mode. Then if you don't do protocol-oriented programming, then for the next developer, it's harder to figure out how it was originally done. But if you do protocol-oriented, you have a clear interface and let's say a storage interface or protocol. And then the next developer clearly sees, oh, okay, so I just adopt this storage protocol for my new thing that not just saves in memory, but also saves to disk. Yeah. The data I want to have offline. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, it totally makes sense. Because you allow that agility of any developer coming in and changing how something is done. But the important thing is, is that that object does what it says it does. And then, like, yeah, I think your point about, like, URL sessions, networking, and understanding how that works with the UI is, is so important. Because um, then you get into, like, some threading stuff, background threads, and the global thread, and the main thread, and all that as well. Because... The last thing you want in an app is a crappy UI that freezes on you because it's trying to pull data from the internet. Right. I would say if we're talking about interviewing iOS developers, right, for your project or your company, the advice I would give, sometimes you need specialists, right? So what we talked about is sort of a general overall what every iOS developer is supposed to know. But... Sometimes you need a specialist. Let's say your app is um, heavy on video, right? Then likely you need an AV Foundation expert. That would be another framework. AV Foundation is Apple's framework that helps you work with audio and video. Another one I can think of is like HealthKit. If you're doing anything in the health or fitness space, like you're going to need to know something like that. Or let's say your app connects to Bluetooth peripherals, right? You, uh, devices you need someone with BLE framework experience. So that's not necessarily your typical developer, like such as myself. I don't know neither of those things, right? Right. I worked with AV Foundation maybe twice in my life, but that's not something I'm interested in, so I didn't specialize in that. Right. But some other, other devs did, and they like it. And then, again, right, when you interview, I don't know, let's say you put in together a team of three. Maybe you need two general, if you will, quote-unquote, iOS devs, but then one specialist in AV Foundation. So keep that in mind, right? Then your interview process should be focused more on, oh, do they know AV Foundation? They might be lacking in, well, roughly speaking, as an example, knowledge of storage and how to store and persist things that we just talked about. But they're really, really, really good at uh, doing video stuff. That's what you need, maybe. Yep, I think it's a really good point. Because like that's a, one of the struggles I see with like the iPhone is a lot of apps kind of do the same thing over and over again. There's so much potential out there with all the different frameworks. And a lot of businesses don't know how to take advantage of those frameworks. And then they don't know how to find the you know expertise in that area. Like I've done 
work with HealthKit, uh, you know, going to the Apple Watch, I've worked with WatchKit. So I totally understand how those are really, really deep frameworks and there's a lot to know in those areas. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the challenge for an employer, right? For a company. If you're not, I think if you're not a developer or specifically iOS developer yourself, it might be hard to define what do I even need, right? I just want this app to look good and again, maybe show videos, right? Mm-hmm. Probably that's where you would uh, want to hire maybe for a shorter period of time, like for a few hours or days, a more experienced developer, a more senior developer, maybe architect, yeah. who would take a look at your project and or your idea, your proposal, whatever you have, and give you a, well, I guess, list of frameworks involved, potentially. Yeah, it's almost like you need like a consultant to come on, and mm-hmm. 99% of people don't know about all these frameworks. They know like, oh, I'm going to do video, or I want to track people's heart rate, like the the frameworks are completely outside of people's knowledge and, and rightfully so. So that's where you might, I know I want to target iPhone, like, okay, I need a consultant to come in and tell me how much work does this involve and what expertise I'm looking for. And I think that would be very helpful to a lot of business owners and a lot of CTOs who are just, just looking for somebody to come in and kind of give them an idea of what needs to be done. Yeah, I remember when I was running a, my small agency, small consultancy, we had usually two people, including myself, working on projects. But occasionally we would actually get outside help for over of an iOS expert in a particular framework. I believe our case was uh, BLE, uh, Bluetooth. Yeah. Neither of us knew how to work with it. It was kind of complex and we were on a crunch time, so we hired someone for, I believe, like a week to just get us up to speed on how it works and the pitfalls. And then from there, we took the prototype code and just improved that. Yeah. You know, it makes me think of like when I have work done on the house, like we uh, mm-hmm. we had like the basement finished a couple of years ago. Like we brought somebody to come in. They had a specific person that did plumbing, a specific person that did electrical, a specific person that did drywall. And I think like that's something to keep in mind with some of these frameworks is like, you know, you, what you need is like some consultant coming in to manage that and be able to like help figure out, okay, what you actually need when you interview an iOS developer. I think the, the challenge comes, unlike in the web world, those specialties are clearly defined, I think, at least my impression. And it's easy, for example, to find a... Stripe expert for PHP or something, but a bit harder for iOS, right? Like a payment expert, Apple Pay or something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for iOS. I personally haven't seen many of those. Yeah, yeah. But again, if you know that if that's, that's what you need, at least in your interview process, those are the questions you want to be asking. How does that work? Can you walk me through it? Explain the whole system overall, right? And then maybe minutia details. Yep. Something like that. I think the other thing is, I think this is with all developers, finding developers who who can learn. Because, you know, you may not know until you get into it, you know, but okay, there are common patterns, like you said, the delegation pattern that Apple uses that are just used throughout every framework. And being able to kind of go with the flow with whatever the team is and being able to learn new things. Right. 
Well, yeah, I guess, as you said, that's a general software developer trait, if you will. Right. It's not necessarily iOS-specific. Right. And that's actually an interesting thing that I, um, an observation I had over the last four years, sort of, you want more of that, of the general software knowledge and experience down the road as your app grows. Basically, and by app growth, I mean the amount of code and number of people working on it. Right. So roughly speaking, just to simplify, Uber today doesn't need anyone, just a general iOS dev who knows MVC. There is a way more complex architecture there that allows hundreds of people to, more than a hundred people working in the same app at the same time. That's where it just doesn't cut anymore, right? So you need someone more um, advanced in architecture, for example. Yeah, exactly. What are some stories or what are some things you've seen happen during the interview process that companies have completely failed at or the traps they fall into? My personal favorite, although not everyone agrees with me, or rather not favorite, but the opposite of favorite, <laughs> companies asking all the algorithmic questions. Mm. And uh, all the, I mean, I'm, I'm joking, no one asks that, but all the bubble sorts of the world, right? Yes, yes. In iOS world specifically, that does not make much sense because again, unlike with a backend web world, to be productive, your general software knowledge, I mean, it's necessary, yes, but it's not as crucial. To be more productive, you need to know more of iOS rather than more of general software algorithms. Yes. Because unlike the back end, we don't deploy multiple server instances to scale and propagate route balancing, all of that stuff, right? And have a great algorithm for that. Yeah, I think that there's a divide between software that's written for performance and software that's mm -hmm. written for maintenance. And I think that differentiation isn't made sometimes so that during the interview process, you're going to ask, how do you write the fastest bubble sort? I think like unless you're doing machine learning or like high-intense graphics where you're actually managing memory and CPU and that kind of stuff, for the most part, you want to write code that is easily maintainable. And that's where things like protocol-oriented programming becomes important or like knowing the different patterns. And I think that, yeah, I totally agree with you 100%. I've done interviews with, like I think I did an interview with Amazon. They'll ask you all sorts of like, oh, how do you sort this? How do you do a tree like this? Blah, blah, blah. And like, all I wanted to ask was, wait, do I have to relocate to take this position because I'm not moving? And it was like, why are you wasting my time asking me these questions when like you haven't even like answered basic questions about whether I'm going to want to take the job if I know how to do it? And it was just like, yeah. Every time I hear those questions on interviews, my question and response is, oh, is that what I'm going to be doing at work if you actually like offer me the job? Yeah. But no, the answer is no. Right. 99% of the time. So you write code for maintenance, and then 90% of companies, the code is slow. They either buy a bunch more CPUs and memory. And then, you know, on top of it, like you just want the code to be maintainable because there's already 52 libraries that do bubble sort better than any amount of optimization you can do. 
So I totally agree with you. I'm glad you brought that point up. Right. Yeah. As you said, your code 10 times more likely to change rather than to be slow right. on iOS. So you optimize for that as you interview, right? The people who can make it easier to change rather than faster. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really, really great point. Maintainability, testability are much more important than, than optimizing for speed or the best, what is it, like ON or ON squared algorithm. <laughs> no, yeah, they're, they're. So question that I wanted to bring up was, I want to go back to this, but developing UI on iOS. There's a lot of people who have 100 opinions about the best way to maintain a UI in a code base. Uh, I do too, by the way. Yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> so we have like storyboards, which is the way Xcode and Apple probably wants us to do it. You could write UI by code. In the interview process, what is the best way, without getting too opinionated as the interviewee, how, what is the best way to ask those questions to know whether someone might be a good fit? Does that make sense? Does anyone want to get into a, like a storyboard versus code your own UI debate? But I more want to know, like, if you're interviewing somebody, how do you know that they know how to build a good UI and work with your team? Does that make sense? It does. And I think the best way to gauge that is to look at the work they've done already, right? Do they have a well-polished UI app in their portfolio, right? Mm -hmm. Or list of the companies or projects they worked on. And um, personally, what I would do, right? I don't know if that's the right approach, but if I interview, I would uh, want to know if... Regardless of what the person prefers, interviewee prefers, right? Do they prefer storyboards or they prefer writing everything in code? I want for them to tell me the pros and cons of each option and when to use each option. That way, I will, you know, hopefully hear from them that they know there there are trade-offs for one approach and another, and at some point, it breaks down, right? Or in some cases, it doesn't make sense. And specifically, I'm talking about, let's say, storyboards don't make a breakdown on scale when you have, I don't know, more than 20 people, let's mm-hmm. say, working mm-hmm. on the app. Yep. But then it does make sense to do it right away as you're a one or two people team. Yes. Something like that, right? At least some reasoning like that. Because if they don't have it and the answer is, oh, I've just been doing storyboards all the time because Apple said so. That is not a good answer. Yeah. That means they don't think why they do it. That means likely it's going to be difficult for them to adapt or impossible even. Yes. When the scale grows to more than 20 people and then storyboards don't work anymore. Yep. I think it's a really good point. And I think this goes with all interview questions. I mean, there is right and wrong answers, but it's more, are they reasoning this out well? Right, yeah. Do they understand the basics? Because... Yeah, I agree with you completely. It's like, okay, do you know why you're doing what you're doing? And are you aware of other ways? And then how do you work with large teams, especially when you're building UI, if you want to do a storyboard or if you want to code it? Like, what are some pitfalls? And I think that's a really great point. Another thing sort of related to that that comes to mind, it's my personal opinion, though, but still, it's an observation over the years. The other thing you kind of want to gauge is 
how much do they agree? Well, not agree. That's not the right word. But how much do they follow what Apple says? And you do need to follow what Apple says uh, most of the time, right? But again, are you still aware of the trade-offs? Can you give an example of an Apple guideline? that? Well, it's the overall model view controller thing. Mm -hmm. The reason they push it on us all these years and still don't stop, it's an easier design pattern to start with and build a simple app with. And that fits their, the goals of the company. Apple as a company wants more apps. Yes, they want a better quality apps, but what they want more is more apps and more, more developers coding for their platform. So that's why they're pushing MVC. If you want a better quality app or a bigger app, you can't really use MVC. But they never say that, that right? They always sort of skew it the other way. Oh, if you're not doing MVC, you're doing it wrong. That's just as a, you know, general from the software architecture perspective. That's not the right answer. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, Apple keeps saying that, right? And a lot of people still think, oh, Apple is right because it's Apple. Yeah, I think that like it's also hard to change the ship when it's moving in a specific direction. I wouldn't be surprised if Apple like recommends other UI patterns, but for 99% of developers, like they're not going to necessarily, like if you're already experienced enough, you, you know to look for other patterns anyways. But yeah, I agree. Like if you're starting off being an iOS developer, you should definitely know MVC is a prerequisite. If you know other patterns, I think that's definitely even a greater skill uh, to have during an interview. Trying to say same thing. If they tell you, oh, use MVC because Apple said so, then maybe a follow-up question from you should be, oh, but why MVC is good? Right. What scenarios and what cases? It says a lot for a developer to not like fight going upstream because like you want to go with what Apple already recommends because when version 2 or version 3 of whatever you're working on that's based on an Apple framework changes, like at least you're, you're ready for when those upgrades and updates happen as opposed to fighting upstream with your own custom thing and then finding out like, oh, it's not compatible anymore because Apple's changed the API. Yeah, that's true. It's a balance to strike, right? Yeah. In one hand, you're working and building an iOS app because you want it to run on iOS platform. But on the other hand, you're actually building a app or an app, right? Mm-hmm. That is your own thing with your own business logic, and you don't want it to t- too tightly couple it to specific iOS Apple stuff, right? Yep. But then again, you still run it there, so you kind of have to in some cases. So it's about. Yeah, and I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier: is like if their reasoning is good, and they have solid reasons, you know that they're they're knowledgeable in that space, and they they can learn and adapt to your team. So the other thing I wanted to ask is. What are some pitfalls that people who are interviewed constantly run into when they are being interviewed? Huh. I think uh, I would say basically, I think what I see a lot of uh, developers when they're interviewed, the mistake they make is they know only a certain subset of iOS frameworks, right? And the concerns an iOS app has but they don't know others, the sort of overall, the full circle of it. Specifically, they might know how to do UI stuff and networking. 
but they never done any storage or architecture for business logic, right? Or done very little of it and they don't pay attention. Again, as we talked about it, if you're interviewing for a UI-heavy position, maybe that's good enough, right? You really know your UI stuff very well and low-level details of it. And likely then you'd be asked those questions in the interview and you probably pass, right? Mm -hmm. But just in general, as you apply, right, most of the time you kind of need to know more of overall rather than specifics. Mm -hmm. Because like, let's say you, Leo, you and I, we team up and, you know, build an app and it's e-commerce with some social networking feed, let's say, right? Some hybrid of Instagram and Amazon. Mm -hmm. So to build that, you and I can code, but let's say we need two more people to help us because timelines. Right. So for that, when we will interview people, we would ask, oh, yes, do you know how to do UI work and networking? But also we would want to know, oh, do you know how to do offline and storage stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Because again, maybe, maybe our app needs to persist something offline for reasons. Right. And also on top of it, a little bit of a, I call it business logic, I guess business logic slash architecture slash design patterns, as we again talked about it, something beyond MVC, right? At least a little bit. Do you know MVVM and MVP and in what cases to use those? And maybe other design patterns like uh, factory and command, right? Something like that. So I think that's the mistake a lot of iOS devs make. They just prep for UI kit, UI stuff, and networking. They never look into storage, all the ways you can store things on iOS, like file storage, core data, key value storage, all of those. Yep. And they don't look a bit beyond, at least a little bit beyond MVC and those design patterns and architecture. Do you think you could just like, as an iOS developer, you just pick up one framework? And just be like, okay, uh, today I'm going to use like core data and then get really knowledgeable about core data for this particular app. And then that gives them at least one framework that they can bring to an interview and speak about. Uh, in a way, yes, it's possible. Each one of those, you can go very deep, right? Right. But at least I think what I recommend um, focusing on, maybe not even a specific framework, but a concern an app has. So like you talk about like storage, like you don't have to know particularly like core data, but like, okay, be able to bring to the company that is interviewing you different ways of doing storage and the pluses or pros and cons of each one. Precisely, yeah. Because you can implement it with core data or Realm or whatever else is out there, right? Right, right. I, I don't even know. But when you and I interview people, we would want to know that they're aware of that concern and how to sort of overall approach on how to solve it and what it does rather than the details of how to do it because that's what they'll figure out on the job. Yes. So that. I would say there are four big concerns, right? It's the UI, networking, storage, and business logic. So that's the pitfalls, I think, for interviewees not knowing those four overall. I think it's a really good point. Because, yeah, a lot of people can just obsess over UIKit and the very basics of UIKit without knowing, you know, that to build an app, you need to store data somewhere. You need to 
call the web. You need to do notifications, for instance. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. a whole elephant that we haven't even gotten to. But I think it's a really good point. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about as far as for people who are doing interviewing other iOS developers? One more thing for interviewees, I guess. That's not more, uh, less for interviewers. You will get a lot of points on your interview if you actually know a little bit of a backend. Maybe not how to code it, but at least how it works, right? Because as an iOS dev, you likely constantly will need to work with backend people. So maybe like the basics of what a REST API or a GraphQL backend should do. Okay. And how to establish those contracts. What are the best practices there? Mm -hmm. Things like that. Yeah. It's a really good point. I'm just surprised at how many iOS developers don't know anything about the backend. Yes. It sort of makes sense to a degree. They're specializing in iOS, right? They're not those general software developers, but still, it helps to know. And in a lot of cases, the API design, the backend API design, will be driven by the front end people, which means iOS people, right? Yep. So, the more knowledgeable you are. Maybe that applies more to sort of architect if you have a team, but if you're a solo person, you need to know that. As you mentioned, like at least know what RESTful is, best practices there. In my experience in one of the companies I worked at, that got out of hand so bad that we were sending five megabyte payloads of JSON down with each request to (laughs) iOS. And then parsing that took forever on the older devices like iPhone 4. Yeah. So they had to do client-side hacks to parse only lazily portions of the JSON. Wow. And the rest on demand. So that is uh, something that uh, as an iOS developer, you should stop before it even comes to it. Yeah. You need to be aware of what's going on with the API, right, that you're consuming. And are they, are you guys as a team keep shoving more data in it and not deprecating and migrating and having versions or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, wow, five meg JSON files. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about this. I think there's a lot of companies that have no idea and just need help interviewing and finding iOS devs. And it, it can be a real challenge. I know. I know it's hard just recruiting people, let alone interviewing them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. My pleasure. And uh, again, you know, it's been a passion of mine on the other side, right? Help iOS devs to get jobs. But I understand the pain. And that's where I originally came from the pain of how do I assess and know that the person I'm hiring is actually knows what they're doing and everything that, you know, they need. So if you're someone who's looking for an iOS job, How does your book help them? Or tell me a little bit about the book and how it guides iOS developers in the interview process. Overall, the book actually does what we talked about. There's those four areas of concern, like UI, networking, storage, and business logic. It gives you an overview of all those options that you have in each area of concern, right? Like back to the storage option. Oh, you can store things in memory or you can store in key value storage, right? And that's user defaults. Or you can store things in uh, files or a database like core data and so on. 
So it gives you this overview, right? Without going in too deep into details of how they work, like specifically core data or something like that, but at least it tells you, oh, here are the options that you have. And in some scenarios, you, you want to use this or another option. That's what the book talks about. It kind of preps you overall. If you want to dig deeper, you can go ahead and research on specific topics. But yeah, that overview was lacking before I wrote the book. So that's why I decided to do that. Awesome. So where can they find the book at? It's uh, iOSinterviewguide.com. Awesome. And then your podcast is inside iOSdev.com, correct? Yep. What do you talk about on that podcast specifically? So this podcast is for developers and we talk mostly, I guess, architecture and design questions, sort of higher level, you know, everything beyond MVC. Okay, awesome. So uh, you can be found on Twitter at... Alex underscore V underscore Bush. Awesome. And that'll be all in the show notes. And then you can find this podcast. We are on Bright Digit. So at Bright Digit on Twitter. Also, you can find my website, brightdigit.com for more info about the services that Bright Digit offers when it comes to iOS development. Alex, again, thank you for coming on. Thank you for, for inviting, yeah. You're welcome. And we will talk to you later. Bye.